0: Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast, where we cultivate greater insight and artfulness to our ever-evolving humanity. I talk with everyday people, dealing with everyday challenges, using timeless wisdom and knowledge, through the lens of a regular meditation practice. In this podcast, we explore the nuances of the ever-increasing demand to change, and how we can meet our condition and transmute it, so that we can reveal ever more deeply Our true nature. From the perspective of somebody who's done a lot of work on themselves for a long time, does it become your role to educate people on the evolution of this planet? Or is it simply your role to help them to expand their state of consciousness? Well, they seem like the same thing. Educating would expand consciousness, wouldn't it? Um, I think I understand what you're getting at. Should we be out there like zealots? <laughs> um, In all my sort of research on that, it doesn't work. Uh, It doesn't help. If anything, it just creates complications in your life. Trying to tell somebody that doesn't want to hear something um, or trying to convince somebody of something and you convince them for a moment and they have doubt, you walk away. That doubt's going to creep in and you've lost them again. As people that are aware that there is change happening on the planet, and I'll categorize every single one of you as these people, just by the fact that you've been sitting here all day listening to me. As people that are aware of this, our only responsibility is to be as embodied within what it is we know to be true about the nature of reality. That's our first and most important responsibility, is to simply understand what it means to live a life in accordance with this higher value system, this higher state? What does it mean in terms of the way I interact with people, particularly people that are very different from me, people that have contradictory perspectives and worldviews, that behave differently, that actually somewhat offend my sensibility? How is it that my philosophy of oneness and in all inclusiveness and love actually translates in these really challenging dynamics. As far as I'm concerned, this is where it counts most. And it is in embodiment. And allowing the mundane day-to-day interactions to be our greatest teachers. And knowing that becoming something that can truly in the moment, reconcile conflict that would otherwise turn into a calamity and generate the belief that we're wretched creatures and that we really can't trust each other to become something that is expressive of embodiment, uh, of, to become something that is expressive of that intelligence that knows how to reconcile. These challenges, and furthermore, create unity, and see, create an opportunity for us to see each other, despite how different we may appear on a on a surface level. This is a superpower, and it can be done non-verbally. And it certainly should be done, non-idealistically. Without a doctrine. If you, if you have to espouse some kind of doctrine and rule, set of rules and, and a worldview, and for somebody to demonstrate that they understand that in order for them to be able to interact with you, then you've got all kinds of problems because that ain't going to happen. If you can transcend needing to even speak about what you think about the world and just be an irresistible proposition for interaction through your radiant, shiny, happy, enthusiastic presence or at the very least, attentive and caring presence. We can't always be shiny and happy and radiant and we certainly don't want to pretend to be when we're not. But we can always be attentive and caring, despite what we're feeling, what we're going through. And make interacting with us something that is enjoyable, irrespective of what you think about life. And create the opportunity for people to just have an experience of you in this state that you're in with the hope that it might inspire further inquiry as to what led you to be in this state that makes you so enjoyable to be around. And none of that is contingent on how you see what's happening in the world. That might come up up as a side conversation. And you can avoid it, and I would recommend it for as long as you can, sharing your opinions about what's going on in the world. I go as far as saying, oh, let's not let all that stuff get in the road of this good time we're having right now. Someone says, oh, what's your opinion on this or that? I go, oh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I have an opinion, but it doesn't really matter right now. I would hate for that to get in the road of us getting to know each other um, beyond our opinions. And that's like disarming for a lot of people. And they love it. They go, oh, what a relief. I don't have to actually have to give my opinion about something. I can just hang out with you and get to know you. And then what it does is it deliberately gives us an opportunity to display to each other that our opinions don't count for much when we care for each other. They shouldn't. What it reveals is that there is something far more important in the human experience that needs nurturing and attention above and beyond the bashing of our opinions over each other's heads. Because at the end of the day, our opinions change, like the weather Every passing day, we think we know a little bit more. And, oh, actually, you know, I thought I understood, but I got this other, this scientist said this and that and whatever. And now actually I think it's this. And, oh, I had three friendships end because I was, you know, on that old data. (laughs) Maybe I should just stop sharing that kind of stuff for the moment. And I see it happen in this day and age. I'm seeing it happen everywhere. Yeah, people getting so self-righteous in their opinions and relationships getting destroyed because they just have to be right. And it's like, it's just not helpful for what we really need to have happen here. You know, if you can be around some friends that see the world in the way that you see it and share your opinions in that safe container where, you know, you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to explore an evolution on your perspective of what you think is happening right now, that's all great. And I encourage you to err on the side of being non rigidly attached to anything you're talking about. Because the chances are, like, you know, 70 to 80% of the information that you're using to determine what's real and what's not could be false. It's just the nature of the world we live in right now. False information is propagated into the mainstream on all fronts, in all facets. To coerce and manipulate and confuse and whatever. We you know, we don't we don't really know exactly what's going on here. Certainly not to the extent that we should be willing to end a friendship or family relationship or something over it. And so coming coming back to your question. And I think what I've highlighted here is pertinent, Um, but also just to really embellish this idea that the most important thing that we need right now is human connection, people understanding people, and particularly people understanding people that are different to each other. Learning how to be with each other despite having different perspectives. And in doing so, what we're demonstrating to ourselves is that Beyond our ideas, we are humans and we can connect and relate and have a very fulfilling relationship despite having a different perspective. And I'm proud to say I've got friends from all walks of life that think very different things about what's going on in the world right now. And despite all of that, we can still share and exchange sentiments of love, and interest in each other's lives, on things that we do find unity on. And that's more than enough for me. And that keeps the fabric of our world together. We can't... It's very important we don't allow the tearing, any more tearing of human consciousness... There's so much tearing going on. We want to be stitches. We want to stitch it back up. Find unity points. Well, oh, there's a hole. Got it. Oh, there's no one. Got it. Stitch it back up. Even if it's a bit patchy and whatever. Keep it together if you can. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's like, well,, oh, nah. There's, <laughs> there's no stitching that one back together. If we can stitch. Things back together again by finding unity points. This is very important, really, really important. And you know, the the big message that I, the the flag I wave is, you know, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? And often we choose righteousness over our happiness. And being right means that somebody else has to be wrong. And you know. If what we really want for the world is for everybody to flourish, then we need to create space for the complexity of opposing views and for love to still be there. It's a great challenge for us. We find that very difficult, but we need to learn how to do it. We must. And that requires patience and applying yourself, actually putting yourself out there and and trying it and seeing and actually, you know, it's something that's quite quickly learned if you commit to the process. But it's an odd proposition if we already feel like we're under the pump and we're, you know, we feel like a minority and that the world's stacked against us and all of that. It's, it's, it's a big ask if you don't have a huge amount of you know, reserves in the tank. But that shouldn't mean that we should avoid it because it's actually the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Mm. Johnny, I suppose there's this like urge for us humans to want to share or teach our point of view or what we believe is truth. Mm-hmm. But especially in this circumstance, to me, it seems that there never is absolute truth. Correct. There isn't. And it's a kind of hubris that we have as humans that we feel entitled to impose our view as better than yours. My view is better than yours, and you know. And even if you are certain of this, it is still no justification for jamming it up in somebody's face. And the results will always remain the same. It's not sustainable. The only way that we can get people to be curious about our worldview is to live in a way that is aspirational, where you charm the pants off them. It's like, wow, you you just seem like a very effervescent, awake, alive, happy, empowered individual. I'd like to understand what is enabling that to occur. And I can guarantee you the first things you will be talking about, well, I can guarantee you that the first things you will not be talking about is current affairs. You won't be talking about that. You'll be talking about the nature of your being and the, the, the fact that you hold dear and sacred life itself. And that you nurture it, you nurture your heart and you tend to, you know, what's important and you confront fears and prejudice. And you work on that as a as, as your priority. And then you connect on that. And then once you've got that kind of connection, there's a trust there and there's inquiry about your your views on current affairs, deliver them very, very, with a very light touch. And don't, don't, presume for a moment make no assumption that they're going to see reality like you do make no assumption that anybody's going to see reality like you do period because we do that and then we get so disappointed when somebody's <laughs> one part of their worldview is just a little bit different to ours <gasps> I thought you were like me <laughs> And we get offended and it's preposterous the only assumption we should, we should make is that everybody sees reality very differently, at least in some aspects. And what that does is it sets the tone for us and our, in our interaction. Thank you for giving me your time and attention. I'm honored to be able to get to know you a little bit more. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing that by asking you questions about where you're at. And I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to try and understand you. There's something about your presence that makes me entering into this dynamic of sharing compelling. There's something about you. So I'm going to give you that. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you about how you see reality and what you're know, what you experiencing. And if you say something that's different to the way that I see it, I'm going to go, oh, okay, interesting going to put it just there, because these are just ideas. Who are you as a person? Why am I so compelled to want to interact with you? Why am I so compelled to want to get to know you? That's what we need to keep our attention on. The thing that makes somebody compelling to interact with is not their ideas. And if you are only attracted to somebody because of their ideas, be warned. They will disappoint you. Because anybody that is really good at espousing ideas that you find attractive but do not embody those ideas, they will invariably disappoint you and probably hurt you in some way. And we need to be able to discern the difference between somebody who talks about things that doesn't necessarily embody those ideas and people that talk about things that they truly are dedicated and committed to in terms of the way they live. So we're best to just like be very interested in Somebody's spirit, the way they are, engaging in shared experience, observing the way they process life, the way they process an experience. We learn so much about somebody that way, more about somebody that way than them telling you how they experience life. It's that old adage that we, you know, we say, be warned, the kids will notice what you do, not what you say. They will copy what you do, not what you say. Because that's the way in which we learn. We observe each other and and behavior more so than what we say. Embodiment. And this is what I mean by embodiment. It's the greatest way of leadership as well. If you wish to lead, you want to lead, you're talking about leadership essentially. Greatest way to lead is through attraction, not promotion. track through the radiance of your being. And if somebody's coming to you, you know they're coming to you because they feel something from you and it's not because of something fancy that you said. It's another good filter. It's all good stuff. Thank you for taking some time to listen to the One Giant Mind podcast, and I hope you're getting a lot out of it. If you're somebody that hasn't yet got a regular meditation practice, One Giant Mind offers a couple of ways in which you can make that happen right now. You can go to onegiantmind.com and have a look at our teacher directory. We've got hundreds of teachers around the world teaching the One Giant Mind being technique, both in person and online. And if whatever reason you're unable to get to one of those courses, you could Download our free learn to meditate app. It's called one giant mind. It's got a 12-step course. That'll get you started And if you're already a regular meditator and feel deeply called to bring this beautiful practice into the world We strongly encourage you to check out our one giant mind teacher training academy We train passionate meditators to become powerful leaders in their community equipped with tools to empower others to know themselves very intimately. We teach a powerful process of how to run a meditation course and facilitate the building and growing of a community. And we would love to welcome you into our global family of teachers. A special thanks to our show producer, Daniel Tucker, aka Spiritual Trady, our music composer, the one and only Ali Liberman, and all of the One Giant Mind team.